Hey everyone, Jonathan Alexandratos here, they, them pronouns. I'm a toy historian, writer, teacher, and Star Trek figure collector extraordinaire. Hi, I am Schubert Tam. I'm the founder of XO6 Star Trek Toys, and you are listening to Trek Untold. Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. My love of Star Trek began with, and was rekindled with, the toys. I can remember playing with my original Galoob TNG figures when they first came out, and I can remember that magical Christmas where I received the entire first wave of the Playmates version of that very same crew. Decades later, picking up some random Star Trek toys at a convention was what got me interested in revisiting the entire series. And that's ultimately what led me to starting this very podcast. So on today's episode, we're going to spend some time honoring the action figures of Star Trek, both old and new. In order to do that, I'm chatting with two different guests today. First up is Jonathan Alexandrados, a writer and a toy historian who is also a massive Trekkie and collector of Star Trek figures, among many, many other things. We're going to take a look at the late 80s and 90s Trek toys, going from Galoob to Playmates and a little discussion of Art Asylum as well, to discuss the boom period of those toys, the way they ultimately crashed and burned, and how this line helped toys in general go from kids' playthings to adult collectibles. From there, we're going to chat with Schubert Tam, the founder of XO6, a company that makes highly detailed and incredibly lifelike 12-inch Star Trek figures from across the franchise. We're going to learn about how his company produces their unique products, as well as get some info on upcoming releases. And some of these might be some first-time reveals. So stick around, since it's a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new, but most importantly, it's all fun and games because we are talking Star Trek toys. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. 
you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com at Trek Untold and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the screen, they are an expert in all toys, ranging from dolls to figures and even what came in your favorite nostalgic Happy Meals, plus a lover of all things Star Trek. New video viewers can tell because uh, they are currently in one of their uniforms right now. So what makes them such a renowned authority on toys? Well, you're about to find out. Today, we're welcoming Jonathan Alexandrados to the show. Jonathan, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I, I love talking toys with you, and, and I'm so excited to dive into all the many layers of Trek plastic that's out there. Trek diecast, Trek cloth, maybe. I don't know. Probably, yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's some soft good stuff out there, too. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. So, Jonathan, normally I have a question I like to ask my guests first. We're going to come back to that. I think right now I actually want to just go back to something I already mentioned here because I mentioned favorite nostalgic Happy Meal toys. And I know that Star Trek did do some fast food tie-ins. Uh, do, do you own any of that stuff? So I do. Not only do I own those toys, but I own the original Happy Meal box oh, that wow. uh, came in. So 1979 for the uh, movie at McDonald's. This was their first licensed IP that McDonald's did as a happy meal toy obviously there are plenty of other um fast food chains that did mcdonald's toys too dairy queen did deep space nine uh overseas you'll see some pizza hut and some some mcdonald's as well doing uh tng uh great great uh kids meal toys out there um for mcdonald's but uh yeah so i've got i've got the toys i've got the box that you just saw um i love those things absolutely love them yeah, I think I think it was Burger King, right? Who did the Abrams ones also? Burger King did the Abrams ones. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that's exactly right. Those are those are great too. But I just want to say too, since I have the box here, this is the only time that the uh, Enterprise canonically burps right there. So <laughs> it does have the ability to do that, uh, which I think is kind of a fun addition. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Burger King with the with the Abrams ones. The Abrams tie-in stuff was great because you had Kellogg's doing those in the cereal boxes. You had uh, Burger King, as you said. Yeah, with, uh, not just the toys, but the classes too. Yeah, that was a really good time for Trek merchandise because that was kind of like the revival. But I think I think we'll come back to the Abrams stuff because that's got oh, its yeah. good and it's got its bad. Yeah, yeah. definitely has its bad. So uh, yeah, Jonathan, let me give you the actual first question I usually ask guests, and that's, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Earliest memory of Star Trek probably is like my earliest memory of life. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting in the basement of my childhood home. Um, I was, I'm sure, no older than six, possibly younger, and I had been shown Star Trek younger than that. It's just obviously I don't have the memory, but I I do have the memory being in that basement, it was those like wood paneled walls, you know, that were big in the eighties and seventies and all that. Uh, the, the carpet, uh, uh, sitting on the carpet, looking up at the, the cathode ray TV that looks kind of like the one behind me there. Uh, and it was a, it was a double header. It was, uh, Miri was on first the TOS episode and then encounter at Farpoint. Uh, probably just half, I would imagine, right after that. Uh, and I just remember vividly those two coming on in that order when I was just a very young kid. And 
being enthralled, uh, first horrified by Miri because the makeup in that is terrifying. Um, and then second, uh, sucked into Encounter Farpoint because of the, the effects in it. I mean, for me as a kid, I just had never seen anything like that. And I thought it was really cool. And I thought the uniforms were cool. And I thought that everybody looked pretty hot and that was fun. And like, you know, and obviously as a kid, you know, that's not really, you know, the, what it is now, but like still like, it's like a bunch of attractive people in space. Why would you not want to see that at any age <laughs> that's true that's very very true and uh you know a fun fact i don't know if you know about miri um because I, I actually uh, interviewed two of the folks who were kids on that episode and they both came back to star trek years later as adults yeah. um but one of the stories they told was uh that really scary kind of looking makeup character um yeah. when that character runs onto the set the kids didn't know what they looked like so they were legitimately scared and freaked out in that scene so that's all authentic. oh terrific oh you know, the right? 60s wow when you could just scare children and and <laughs> you know blow up horses in the westerns why not it's, you know screw them um Hollywood. that yeah seriously right wow i kind of feel bad for those kids actually knowing that like i don't know i mean you're just trying to go to work do something you enjoy you know like they can't remember much else from the episode other than being scared completely out of their pants but uh, yeah yeah so, Which is I, funny as an audience member, knowing that that's kind of true for me too, but on a different level because I wasn't there like those guys were. Uh, that's crazy! Wow. Yeah. So you know, I guess on that same token here, let's go one step further because this is going to be the Star Trek toy episode here. Yeah. What's your earliest memory of Star Trek toys? What was your very first Star Trek toy if you can remember? Yeah. Uh, so I feel like I well, as a kid, I had some of the Galoob line the. 3.75 inches, um, specifically Captain Picard. But I remember very strongly my dad getting me a Jadzia Dax figure loose from oh. a local comic shop called Dragon's Lair in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is not there anymore. It, it was my childhood comic shop. And uh, they had underneath the case of glass, they had loose Star Trek figures for I don't know, maybe five bucks or something. And uh, so I got the Jadzia Dax uh, figure. And I remember it was a hot summer day and I never, I didn't want to leave her in the car because I, I thought that the plastic would get all like melty and everything. And, and obviously it's not going to get hot enough to melt plastic, but I just didn't like the way it kind of got flimsier in the heat, you know? So I'd always take it with me. My dad would be like, you know, it's not alive, right? You can leave it in the car. It's fine. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. It's a, it's a collectible. Like it's, it's, you know, you need to, you need to make sure that the, the plastic doesn't, doesn't melt. And obviously it's like my kid brain trying to explain that. So may, I, I feel like it's probably Jadzia Dax, even though the Galoob stuff was out earlier, I certainly wasn't like buying it off the shelves. So the Galoob stuff that I got as a kid, I'm sure I got from toy shows, like local toy shows that, that again, my dad would take me to. Um, so I, I, I believe that the Galoob stuff probably actually came later in my collection, even though it was released first. Yeah, for me, actually, uh, and it's going to be one of those episodes where I, I'm going to probably talk a bunch, too, which is very rare on Trek Untold. But since yeah. these things are, are totally in my frame of view also, yeah, this is a big part of me. Uh, yeah, I think the Gloobs were, yeah, well, I know for a fact the Gloobs were my very first. I've got a lot of vivid memories of having those. And, like, I, I can even remember the very first episode of TNG when it first aired. And I don't, I think I, I definitely didn't have my toys yet. But uh, I can remember, I'm pretty sure it was that Christmas, most likely. Or if not that Christmas, the one after where I, I had all those toys because uh, they were guarding uh, the cookies for Santa. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but did you have wrong. any of the vehicles from the Galoob line too? Did you? 
as a kid no and uh, i guess you know we're gonna probably end up jumping around a lot here but yeah as far as the gloop figures go i mean it was a very short-lived line it was the first line for tng and uh while you know they they did make some vehicles i didn't get them until i was an adult Mm -hmm. and uh folks don't know like they made basically the shuttlecraft and they made uh, a really cool choice here they made a ferengi marauder they made a ferengi ship which was that i own i have that in box yeah um, which is a really cool ship yeah very cool it's great that's such a cool ship. The um, I did as a kid have the diecast Enterprise. Did you have that? Not as a kid. Again, as an yeah, adult, I had that. Later. I think you could kill a person with. You can. It's so heavy. And I remember as a kid, I didn't fully understand how to get the saucer section back into the the battle bridge section. Uh, and I kept trying to basically bang it together. The paint would get all chipped to hell. As an adult, I did. I'm like, oh, this wasn't that hard. <laughs> but as a kid, I, I just you know for whatever reason, it just baffled me. That was an interesting choice because you're right. It was such a heavy toy and the paint, I mean, paint in general, I feel like has a hard time staying on, on die cast when it's not like a hot wheels car or something. Like when you're just like painting it the way you would paint an action figure, it's not, it's not the best. So that would always get, uh, get chipped off. But, uh, it was, it was cool. I mean, it was cool to have like a really heavy toy that was the enterprise um but yeah the the pla- the plastic figures that could fit in the the shuttle and the the ferengi fighter uh the ferengi marauder those are those are great uh those are great and such good likenesses don't you think like the faces were actually pretty good yeah i think to this day i'm actually still pretty impressed by them i think they did a really good job capturing the look and feel of them i mean even the bodies you know while they were kind of like skinny and maybe less volu- i don't want to say muscular but definitely less voluminous than what playmates would do a few years later uh right. it's still like it's still read like these were the characters um yeah good likenesses um yeah really good sculpt that holds up especially holds up because they're very fine too that's the thing yes. it's like they're very finely detailed yes. um yeah they look really good and you know it's, it's unfortunate though because i feel like you know we mentioned there's the die cast enterprise there's the three and three quarter inch figures there's also some like a little uh type one phaser that was like a keychain also or something like like as far as the, the line of toys itself it was kind of mixed up with what they were trying to the do from the galoob line it was a little bigger i know that keychain you're talking about because i have that too but the the galoob phaser was was about about like like that maybe yeah um, because i have it on my my uh dresser uh and it's you know for protection yes and, of course and uh <laughs> the light in that thing is really bright i will say that uh in in the in that specific phaser so you could actually do some damage with it <laughs> but uh the uh have you heard the story of the bearded riker from that line i have but i think there's a lot of folks who might not know this is a really yeah. fun odd little it's story so yeah let's, please, story. let's talk have about, you, let's talk about have the... you seen one not in the wild, but yeah, I do know same. they exist. I've seen them. I think I've seen one on eBay or something, but yeah. Yeah. So, well, and the thing is, so the full story is that with the original Galoob TNG figures, you could actually mail away and get a bearded Riker. But the way they were making the bearded Rikers was somebody in the Galoob office was just taking the clean shaven one and then with a Sharpie just going and giving Riker a beard and mailing it out to whoever sent in uh, enough to get it. I have no idea how many of those actually were sent out. Uh, do you have any knowledge of the number on that? Yeah. The thing is, it's like so hard to get an actual authentic number because sure. it's based, like you said, someone can just take a Sharpie and claim it's the original thing. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what makes it so frustrating. Like if, if I ever saw like a bearded Riker that actually had the, the provenance to back it up, uh that would really interest me but uh otherwise 
I just, I, I, I don't know that I could make the investment because it's so easy to do the way they were actually doing it. You could do it yourself if you wanted. If you literally bought one of those Rikers for, for, for 10 bucks or less and just drew on a beard, that's what they did. So you're good. You got it. <laughs> you know what the crazy thing is, too, about the Galoob figures is you can still basically find those Galoob figures on package for fairly cheap. Like I can still go to conventions yeah. and find them for like $10 and less. And chances are, if you buy a bunch of them, you can bargain down because that's yeah. the thing we toy collectors do. Um, right. But the funny thing is like, that's just the Starfleet crew. If you want to get the aliens, then you're screwed because those They're aliens, you have them. Yeah. I got yeah, them yeah, right are great. Yeah. But yeah. Folks who don't know, like the aliens were super rare and they continue yeah. to be super rare and they are like, we're worth so much more money. Like Q especially is a big one, but yeah. the Antikin, uh, there's a bunch of others. I only have like two of them. The Celia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, those are, it's true. Those do sell for a lot. I, I have noticed in recent years some fluctuation in the market on, on those a little bit. But you're right that they do definitely sell for more than just the standard crew uh, does for, for sure. Uh, but they're fun. It's fun to kind of see which characters Lube kind of thought might take off in the in the early days or or or, or figures that maybe the the show kind of wanted to push a little more because the Frangie they really thought those were going to be the big bads so that makes sense that they would want to invest a lot in there the Sealy and the Antikins they're kind of they pop up in an episode uh, and then I don't think we see them again after that so that's an interesting choice but you know now actually we're lucky because the 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 Galoob figure to get right now is is part of the cheap set it's the Tasha Yar. Because they just made the Armus from yeah. from Super Seven, and it's in scale with that figure, so you can finally stage Tashiyar's death outside of the applause diorama. If you don't have the applause diorama, which doesn't move, so now you can make it a more active thing, and it'd be, it's great. Like, I mean, what a wonderful, sad moment in Star Trek history <laughs> that was. Yes, very. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, a kind of a fun note too. Actually, uh, just talk about those figures, and this is a fun little piece of trivia. Um, so technically the Antikin, we could actually say is the very first action figure of Mark Alamo. Yeah. That's because it actually, if you look in the back of that packaging, that's his headshot in that makeup because he played that character. Yeah. And then if we jump forward a little bit to playmates when they did their first, I think it was part of the first wave. They did their figure of the Romulan, Romulan. and guess what? That's Mark yeah. Alamo again, which it was going to be in the Galoob as well. Yeah. Cause Galoob had that planned, but they didn't get a chance to release it. So you'll see, you know, prototypes of that floating around out there from time to time with, with his face there on the, the card. Uh, and, and but you mentioned that prototype too. I think it's a good time to mention the unproduced Wesley Crusher from Galoob. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The unproduced Wesley Crusher. That's the other one uh, that you'll see out there, which is, which is too bad. It'd be nice to get him in the sweater, but super seven did put, put Wesley Crusher out like that. So you could get him in scale with the few less points of articulation, but uh, at least the, the likeness is kind of there, but I do like that. I do like that. Wesley, I do like that Romulan. I wish we got him. There's someone on eBay selling um, Beverly crushers, but I don't, those are not, um, authentic prototypes of anything that that was the all of the galoob people have said we, we never got around to actually making that so um you can get customs which actually kind of look like kind of fun customs but it's not authentic uh prototype product yeah. so the data stuff though galoob spotted data versus regular data versus blue data that's fun yeah, there's a whole bunch of other data out there too. It's crazy how how much yeah. this Galoob line actually has to it in terms of like variants that weren't meant to be variants but became right. variants. 
Um, right. And it's some other pretty stuff. Yeah, let, let's talk about some datas. You could have a literal fistful of datas. A fistful of datas. So here is what we would call spotted data. And I'll try to get them as close to the camera as possible. And oh, yeah, maybe... he's, got, uh, he's got some acne or something on him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can see some of those spots, which are not obviously supposed to be there, that happen due to plastic quality. And uh, that is ha- that is a, a thing that has plagued a number of toys uh, over over toy history, they either turn green or they get spotted or something like that. That that's a that's a plastic quality issue, and uh, and it happens. For example, it's very hard to get a, a James Bond Moonraker twelve inch toy that's not like green and zombied because that plastic. Yeah. So that happens. And then um, there were other sort of variants of that that were uh, bluer in appearance, and then there were ones that kind of looked pretty pretty normal like data does you know and and i remember in the 90s that was all the rage to try to get like the spotted data versus the blue one versus the you know that one the, the normal one and uh now I, I don't know that that many people care except for maybe us but like it's still you know it's like the boba fett circles on the fists you know in the yes. in the 90s <laughs> and where where you know everybody's fighting over like is it a half circle full circle and now everybody has moved on with their lives but uh, you would think so, but I actually put up a video a few years ago on my YouTube channel unboxing uh, one of the Playmates Frankie figures, uh-huh. and turned out I actually oh, got the yeah, rare nice. version. I got the rare version that has like I guess I think it was the unpainted boots. Yeah, and yeah I didn't yeah. realize that till I opened it, and I got like a few comments like "You ruined it," and I'm just like, oh. "Well, did I though?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this exactly. thing was like still five bucks when I bought it. I'm pretty sure if you look around, you can yeah. get them for the same price. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because for every uh, fan that kind of will open a Ferengi that's like that, there's a seller that will also sell you a Ferengi that's like that for not very much money. So that's that's the saving grace. Yeah, uh, there you're not going to retire on Ferengis nor spotted datas. Exactly. Yeah. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Nego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible 
until it happens. Have you ever watched a YouTube video and said you wish you could do what they were doing? Whether it's the filming, the production, the editing. Maybe you listen to your favorite podcast and you wondered how they put that show together, how they got that great sound quality, what gear they use, how much does it cost to get started? Or maybe you checked out a video or read a book about one of your favorite entrepreneurs and it made you say, I want to live that life. I want to do what they do. Then check out my podcast, Toys and Tech of the Trade. I'm Rich Butler, and I've been making podcasts for almost two decades, speaking with experts across all fields to get to the bottom of the hows and whys of their achievements. Each week, I sit down with these amazing people who have carved their own path in life and share the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they rely on to create their content, the methods that they use to run their business, and the habits and trends that are part of their daily routine and their way of life. And all of that, of course, gets put together to make them successful. We pull back the curtain on the process to help you understand what these people do differently so that you can draw inspiration and get ideas and be inspired so that you can take action today. This podcast is inspiring, educational, it's enlightening, and most of all, it's a lot of fun. I want you to join me on this journey so that you can use the tools and advice shared in this podcast to level up your business or creative endeavors, giving you all the tips, tactics, and tools so that you can transform what you're doing from a side hustle into a full-time lifestyle where you can collect a paycheck for doing what you love. Check out Toys and Tech of the Trade wherever you listen to podcasts and check out the RageWorks Network at RageWorksNetwork.com for more info on this podcast and all of the many other great shows that we have on the RageWorks Podcast Network. That's Toys and Tech of the Trade with some assembly required. That's kind of the interesting thing about Star Trek toys is, uh, you know, really, unless you're talking about like the Migos, for example, uh, for the most part, unless it was like a, a super duper legitimately limited edition figure, you could buy them today. Most of the 80s, 90s ones for cheaper than what they were when they first came out. Yeah. yeah and generally I, speaking. Yeah, I feel like Playmates is kind of the cause for that. Ultimately, like, you know, it was both a good thing and a bad thing how they did their toys. And uh, I mean, if, if you'd like to talk about that, actually, we can kind of t- explain uh, what Playmates did when they took over the license and how that kind of ultimately led to its downfall. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty good segue because right after the Galoob stuff ended, uh, Playmates got the license in the early '90s, and then just kind of proceeded to make everything all the time. So whatever whatever thing you could think of in Star Trek uh, has probably been a Playmates figure at some point in time, and they basically dominated that from early '90s to like '98 ish, uh, and what playmates did is well they did a number of things uh that are different than galoob and actually different than anything that had been done before the first probably most memorable thing is on the bottom of every foot they individually numbered every single figure so now every single figure became a collector's item officially numbered like an art print or something you looked at the bottom of the foot there was your number now, the only problem with that really was the number was out of something like, you know, several hundred thousand, right? Yeah. So it's not really like getting something that's super limited. But I do remember as a kid, we would check those numbers to see who got the lowest one. And the lowest ones we would get would be like in the thousands, once or twice, something in the hundreds. But now, you know, with hardcore Playmates collectors, there are folks who like, try to get ones or twos or even zeros, which are kind of just internal samples and stuff like that. So uh, that, that sticks. 
the figures were bulkier. So if you think about um, kind of a He-Man figure, obviously it's not that to that extent. But I guess if you think about Playmates' other line, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, those were also bulkier. And again, when you're thinking about Trek, you're not thinking about ones that are that muscular uh, or that bulky. But they're more in that direction than, say, a Galoob figure, which is you know uh, much much thinner, slimmer. Um, so they had that uh, as a sort of consequence of that. Uh, the other thing people often say about them is uh, they couldn't really sit down that great. It's true. The the, the legs kind of splayed outwards because of the the way that the uh, the joints worked on the hips. They just kind of splayed like that, um, which is too bad if you have the bridge playset, which is an awesome playset. Um, didn't do that great for that company, but it was, it's an awesome playset. And not, not to interrupt Jonathan, but I do want to mention too, as far as those legs go, they ultimately did eventually change them. And this is a fun little bit of trivia too, is it took them many years till they made that change, but it wasn't even necessarily Star Trek toys themselves that made the change. It was because Playmates had a different license at the time. And I don't even know if anybody out there is listening to the show is going to remember this other show that was on TV, uh, but it was Sequest. Sequest, uh, was it 2022 or something, whatever it was called? So Sequest and then towards the end, Sequest 2023. Uh, Happy anniversary, Sequest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sequest was so good. Are you, You're a Sequest fan? I think I watched it as a kid. I haven't seen it since then, so I have no idea oh if it holds up. I think I watched it I just got the, the whole series on Blu-ray. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> it just came out this year. Wow. It's so good. Uh, and by so good... I obviously mean still quite cringeworthy, yeah. <laughs> but if you saw it as a kid, yeah, you, you would have loved it. Yeah. I mean, those sequest figures, right. So anyway, continue with that point. Cause that's spot on. Yeah. So basically it was because of those sequest toys that playmates had the license to do that. They then use those toys to change the articulation for the figures. And those toys could actually sit down. So instead of them being bow legged, they actually had like proper joints and they had a thigh cut as well. Uh, so that gave them better range of motion and, they decided let's just make whole new mold to the Star Trek toys, and boom, we finally got figures that could fit, like the uh, Voyager line, the Deep Space Nine line. Uh, ultimately, most of the TNG guys, you wouldn't really get them again in their proper uniforms, uh, but at least we got DS Nine Voyager sitting the right way, so that's something. Yeah. So, so thinking about that, um, originally in the '90s, you got TNG from Playmates. After they got through a few of those seasons of of TNG and a few waves of TNG, you started to see the the classic movie stuff come out. So you would get stuff for the motion picture. And you'd get obviously Deep Space Nine. Um, at that time, you would also start to get uh, dolls. So you'd get 12-inch dolls. Some of those are quite good. Some of my favorite Playmate stuff are in that that uh, maybe 12 inches too too tall, but maybe more like nine. I think some of them right? were eight. Most of them were like eight inches. And then they did a second yeah. subset that was like the more quote unquote higher end versions that were 12 inches. Yes. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yes. Um, they did a wonderful uh, Sherlock and Watson that were Data and LaForge in that, um, in that scale. Those were um, KB Toys exclusives, but they're great. Um you would also see the Space Talk series come out. This is all mid-90s. Space Talk series were, uh, I would say, seven-ish inches tall. Uh, you push a button on the back, and they would say lines that they said on the show. You'd get Picard, you got Riker, you got Q, you got the Borg. You would get ones that have um, action features. They were a little bit taller than your um, than your standard um, early 90s Playmates figures. Uh, you would get a a queue that could actually fence 
and I believe a Riker that could shoot a rifle. You would get. They would start to play around with these action features as the '90s kind of wore on, um, and the the DS9 figures and the Voyager figures came out, which were in that kind of standard scale um, comparatively to the uh, original TNG figures. Um, you got place uh, play play uh, sets play sets. Uh, you got ships, electronic ships uh, in there, uh, all of which were, I thought, outstanding. Um, but one of the things that that happened with regard to those playsets, the reason you don't get too many of them, and the reason to this day playsets are pretty underproduced, especially compared to what they were, is just because they didn't sell that well. And 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 the bridge playset, in my opinion, is is beautiful. The transporter playset they actually patented the technology to do that through that playset which is it's not like a figure is actually being tr- transported but you're putting the figure in a specific device that makes it looks look like it's there one minute and then gone the next so that's original technology to them i think that's a pretty cool place set you had the engineering playset from generations that's a great one because first time you kind of get a warp core um so those are fun. The ships are fun. Um, obviously, those uh, sort of um, legacy, you know, twelve-inch dolls are, I, I think, really cool and, and detailed. Basically, the bigger you get, the more detail you can kind of put in there. So uh, they got more detail, and, and those bigger ones also got uh, better, better uniforms, uniforms that were at least cl- closer to the to the show, closer to show accurate. Um, there were some wonderful. Uh, dolls that were planned uh, and then never made it out because uh, towards the end of the 90s, Playmates lost the license and and there really wasn't much retail interest for them anyway. But we were going to get a Kira doll that actually came with an alternate outfit where she could dress up like uh, that, that, I guess it's Maid Marian in uh, Way <laughs> of the Warrior. Uh, and you could kind of flip the outfits between her from the the standard to to that one and i really wanted that i mean you can get a a standard kira doll but that outfit that that never happened and and that's such a cool idea too where you would get two outfits and kind of like a barbie you could flip them yeah um, i don't know why people didn't go for that i wanted it well i feel like playmates uh was kind of having an identity crisis and you kind of hinted a little bit uh, when in your way you were talking about right there with how like you know Here's space talk. They're seven inches. Here's their action features. These are about like five to five and a half inches. Uh, their Star Trek Generations toys had completely different uniforms, which is a different yeah. story into itself. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I story. think those had like a different size also. Uh, or I believe, actually, sorry, it might have been First Contact. Yeah, First, first Contact, contact had the they were different sizes. Yeah. yeah, Generations is a whole different ordeal. But yeah, First Contact had yeah. like slightly different sizes also. So yeah. I felt like they were trying to be everywhere all at once. Yeah. And uh, between that and, as we mentioned, those limited edition numbers on their feet, uh, they're basically creating a market that just was not sustainable for themselves. Yes, yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And and Star Trek itself, as the '90s kind of got to its end, Star Trek itself was was starting to, I mean, wane a little bit. Like the 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 sort of legacy shows were starting to starting to 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 fade. I, I guess maybe Voyager Voyager went into the thousands a bit, right? Um, very early yeah very early right and then and then we kind of had that dry spell until enterprise um so one then i think wonders how um how how to keep those those figures line alive and who you're who you're really selling them to because if you're if your point of reference for star trek is let's say star trek nemesis 
and you're looking for Star Trek Nemesis toys for that movie, that's going to be a different collector than the early 90s TNG collector was. So how can you really market that to kids? Well, I mean, Playmates never got the opportunity to even try with Nemesis. Um, But even First Contact, you know, I mean, First Contact they did make, which, as you said, uh, were in a bigger scale for some reason, right? I guess probably you get more detail in or something. Maybe they thought that you were now catering to an older audience, but the older audience wasn't really, I think, going for 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 that. Uh, funny thing about First Contact, one of my favorite unproduced figures is in that line, which is the creepy data one, which you've seen, right? The, the, seen I've even asked these sculptors about that toy. I'd, I'd be interested to, if you can elaborate on what they said, that that would be awesome because it's basically like a nude data that's been uh, uh, sort of stripped away in places. Uh, the skin is kind of missing uh, and you can kind of see the Android uh, underneath. Um, it's a creepy figure. Uh, and if you look at the, the back of the first contact cards from playmates the the card backs that the figures were on you'll still kind of see a gap where they kind of photoshopped out that one because they're like well, we're not selling that uh but there's sort of this this kind of gap there nonetheless which is kind of funny when you see all the figures lined up um yeah what did they say about that so yeah i think it was in my episode where i spoke to uh steve varner about it in fact yeah. i don't think he remembered it actually that well so, oh, so part of me is like wondering like did this thing actually exist or has it just been kind of like a fan-made thing that because there was a space in the back of the packaging maybe they just pretended you know like the fan base basically created its own myth so that's that's actually still uh one of those untold yeah. unfigured out unresolved mysteries in star trek I guess, world i mean i guess it's possible right but like i yeah i've never seen the prototype in person i've seen various different photos of that prototype though so a few people would have to be pretty committed to the bit i mean also varner studios which is an uh, amazing you know company but i mean they have several more than several uh, quite a few sculptors that work for them if one of them kind of came up with that and pitched it and was just like, hey, what if we did this? And the answer was like, yeah, maybe we'll 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 shove it in a catalog somewhere, but I don't know. Um, and that's kind of as far as that went. That's possible. I could I could see that happening. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that might be what the case is. I mean, I, it's you know, there's still a lot of sculptors out there from Varner who haven't really spoken on the record about it. And hopefully, one of these days, I'll get around to talking to them also because I, I want to find out. And it's sure. it is a really creepy thing, and folks can Google it too. I mean, it's yeah. like the weirdest looking toy. It, it, you look at that, and you're just like could they have even gotten away with it? Right. <laughs> Cause it's, it's definitely right. pushing the envelope for star Trek. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, it's literally I mean, naked data with bits of his skin peeled off <laughs> in strategic places. So, you know, yes. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what I, would you say would be the uh, best playmates star Trek toy? And what do you think would be the worst? Or let's just say we'll make it a little bit easier. Cause there were like so many of these toys, so a favorite bunch and worst bunch sure. of Star Trek Playmates toys. Oh, the worst is easy. I mean, it's Tom Paris mutated. I mean, that that figure <laughs> sat on the pegs for so long. I looked at it. I remember looking at it as a kid and just being like, why would I ever want this? It's still given out to this day in Trekkie circles as like a gag gift. Uh, my my vote for worst is, is Tom Paris mutated 100%. Uh, that's easy. Best is hard. Best is hard. Um, because I think also with best, one has to try maybe not be influenced by the characters that they love. 
because whoever you love would probably be your favorite figure because it represents that person. Yeah. So if we're talking about best of playmates, I'll 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 take a stab at answering that from a from a perspective that detaches the characters that I love. So I'll just I'll put those aside and not consider them and I'll I'll consider it solely on what those figures did within the line. So like for example, the data was really good because the data from TNG had panels that actually opened up on it and you could actually hook little instruments into there and and do that. Um, And it had that action feature, which when I saw that, I was like, Oh, that's, that's really different compared to what the other figures were doing. And I really wanted that as a kid. And I I eventually got that data and it was so fun because it was also, it's a feature that gives you a lot of power Mm -hmm. because on the show, whoever is responsible for, for taking care of data and that, position that's that's got to be a pretty knowledgeable person either dr crusher or jordy and you as a kid being able to do that being like oh let's let's open up this android and 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 play around in there and get him working again that's cool so data tng data um in in with the panels uh i would say the borg from tng the borg figure because that came with attachments that you could kind of replace and remove and and switch around so for me that's an action feature that uh that is really cool um i have to give a shout out to the fact that they were committed to i feel like almost every variant of troy which is good granted not made in equal numbers to the rest of the figures she was short packed in the original uh wave of her um, but I do like that you can get all of the different iterations. Flashback Janeway, that was the new Force Collectibles mail away uh figure. I think that that's uh that's a really cool one, just because. Well, I mean, the box of it is lovely. I think it's this great window box, and you get to kind of see Janeway get a variant uh in in a cool monster maroon uniform too, nonetheless, which. I'm a big fan of, and I know I said I wouldn't let that maybe influence me, but maybe it's impossible at the end of the day to to fully divorce yourself from that. Um, those are up there for me. What about you? Now, I think uh, for me, you know, you actually kind of uh, hinted at a little bit when you were talking earlier. Uh, I think for me, it was that movie series that they did. Yeah, uh, I think those combine like the best sculpts, great accessories, and the fact that these are characters we never really ever got again. Yeah, is that line gave us, you know, motion picture versions of Kirk, which, in my opinion, you know, while the motion picture uniforms are for the most part kind of hot garbage, uh, I always I really loved the Kirk outfit that he had at the beginning of the film, the black and white outfit. Yeah. I think that's just like a really cool outfit. Like the Monster Maroon is the best overall, but yeah. something about Kirk in that era, Shatner in that era, wearing that outfit to me, that's just like such a look. Yeah, I, I just like how it looks, and especially as a toy, it just is wonderful. Yes. Um, but that entire line, it gave us a great version of Ahura, a great version of Sulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave us Commander Krug. It gave us Commander mm-hmm. Savick. Like, we got a lot of characters we wouldn't see again, celebrities who wouldn't have gotten again, um, with just some of the best sculpting job that they did. And it was their only build the figure. That's true. <laughs> we want to put out Eric, you could build uh, V'ger if you bought them all um, from that line. So that's, that's fine. Actually, you're bringing up an excellent point by thinking about the movies. Uh, I agree with you that those figures are outstanding. I think in addition to that, the Borg Queen that they eventually made, yes. for me, 
has got it. Maybe that is even my number one. If I'm if I'm being pressured to like put one in the number one spot, maybe it's the, maybe that's number one. Why? Because you could remove her head from the figure and you could recreate if you wanted to like if you had some i don't know toothpicks or something you could kind of make the little thing that pulls her down from the ceiling and just inserts her into the body um it's a great it's a great figure it uh does suffer from reduced articulation because of that action feature but the likeness to her i think is actually really good and that's not part of their first contact movie line it's part of a line that came a little bit later than that uh and is it's it's her kind of more in scale yeah. with the rest of the figures which I that's really a like. very very good choice yeah and that's actually you know to be fair we talked about the price of these toys you know you could buy them now nowadays for like you know less than what they were in most cases if you buy them in person ebay they're a little bit more money but if you go to a toy show or a toy shop you'll find them dirt cheap but the board queen is one of the ones that's still up there in price because there are yeah. still a few that have a higher price tag and that's one of them like the target exclusive yeah. seven of nine is probably up there as well as one of the higher ones but Bore queen is up there and she is worth it yeah but, she's worth it she's worth it what would you was she like at would you say she's around 30 she uh well, last time i saw her a few years ago was like 50 and 60 50 and 60 wow yeah, so okay. she's been going up a little bit yeah so this this brings up a good dimension to our conversation like what are the what are the most valuable trek playmates figures uh currently i mean for me the number one has to be trifold borg right Mm. yeah the trifold borg is definitely the most expensive starter figure out yeah so for folks who don't know about that one that's an interesting piece yeah Uh, and jonathan why don't you tell us about that one sure you brought it up go ahead that's that's a great sure (laughs) sure yeah it's a great piece and and it's it is a tough one to find uh preserved because the trifold borg the reason it's called a trifold borg is because it's just the standard borg figure that playmates did but it's on this card back that folds out basically in three ways hence being kind of a trifold and it was really just given out to uh kind of store managers or distributors or you know people people that were kind of on the inside it was never really a public uh facing figure yeah, I think it was like a given away at like a licensing show also, perhaps yes. where it came from. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it was it was promoting uh, First Contact, right? Before First Contact, came, well before First Contact came out, before yeah, they had any figures for it. It's very early. Whatever, I, I don't quite remember now. I, I've seen them on eBay. I saw someone recently, in fact, in a group selling one in a mangled packaging. I saw that. Yeah. And they were still asking for like way too much money for it, which is way crazy. Too much. Yeah. So way the Trifle Borg is just hard to find, especially yes. in great condition. Uh, I think the other one up there is, uh, this is extremely rare, the Redemption Data. Redemption so Data. So we talk about how Data is like your, one of your, you know, definitely one of your favorites. Uh, Redemption yeah. Data is him in the red captain uniform. Right. And that's literally, the, I think the only difference with that character is just him in that uniform. And mind you, it's called Redemption because they're saying it's from that episode, but he didn't actually even wear that uniform in that episode. It was actually a different episode. Right. And the reason it's so rare is because it was at JCPenney. And it yeah. was a, it was a, it was JC Penny only uh, figure and and produced in in pretty small quantities and also as you said totally wrong like it's not the episode at all where Data wears the red command outfit but yeah but but it, even so even with even with Redemption Data like if you think about the drop from Trifold Borg to Redemption Data it's pretty significant like Trifold Borg if you find one that is really well preserved you can expect it to run in the thousands I would say is that fair to say. Pretty, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, 
and redemption, at least definitely in four digit territory i'd say i think so i think so yeah and redemption data you could probably still i think find that figure for like a couple hundred more than a couple hundred but definitely uh yeah a bunch of hundreds that's <laughs> bunch that hundred. okay yeah fair <laughs> enough i i i lost an ebay bid for one uh and i think it landed around 250 so probably someone got a deal that, that. that actually is a good price yeah it's yeah, a good they price got a deal. Yeah. but kind yeah. of the funny about that too i feel like you know we're talking about limited editions uh this now i think leads into the end the playmates sure. the decline of the initial playmates run because uh, i think one of the other really expensive ones they did is uh they did a set of well, not they did three individual figures that were yes. limited to only 1701 of them yes and that was a version of a card it was a version of uh, barclay and they were super rare really hard to get those are still pretty expensive but the problem is Playmates thinking, oh, collectors are dying for these. They then re-released it into a three-pack called the 1701 pack. Yeah. And so that was pretty much the beginning of the end. Exactly. And so that, yeah, that, that there are three stages to that. So the, the first one is exactly what you said. We're going to release these figures in such limited quantity, 1701. Um, and it was as you, exactly as you said, Barkley, uh, Picard, and Yar from yesterday's Enterprise, right? Um, which I felt didn't exactly nail her in that episode, <laughs> but I appreciate the attempt. Uh, after they did that, they had so much hate mail come in that, hey, we want these characters. Why can't we get them? They actually did another run of them individually for out of 3,000. They're like, all right, we'll do 3,000 more. Still wasn't good enough, which I, I hear you. So then they put them out uh, as a three-pack, as you said, um, where you get all three of them in, in one in one set, and that was not it wasn't limited at all. You just you just get it that way. So that's why now, if you're if you're hunting those figures, the only way you can really go is mint on card because if you're getting them loose, then you're not really necessarily even sure which of those releases it might have come from. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a, and I think your characterization of that as kind of the decline of Playmates makes sense because they wanted to start from a place of these are collectibles. They went a bit too far in that direction and got some hate for it. And then when they tried to rectify that, that still caused some additional hate come in because they just punctured their own market on the limited edition stuff that they just came out with. So it, it backs them into a corner and they really couldn't win uh, uh, from that. So yeah, I, as a business decision, I think it was a pretty bad move. And if we actually take a step back for a moment here and look at the entire toy industry in that time period, you know, this is also a time period where the type of toys that Playmates is making are very much being phased out. The look, the aesthetic of them, and we're also beginning, I think, to really make way for the adult collector more so. Uh, this is the start of the adult collector period. And that's why uh, that's why Playmates was numbering these individually initially, because they're like, look at how limited these are. These are collectibles. Uh, you know, this is the same time period where Image Comics was out and they were doing limited number ones. This was like the era of the number one comic, you know, where everybody's getting one with variants and shiny covers. Likewise for toys. This is when adults are coming in and they're starting to now hold on to these toys because their figures from the 70s and 60s are now going way up in price. Uh, so they're like, well, let's just speculate. Let's buy up all these Playmates toys. Let's buy up all these Star Wars toys. Uh, right. For example, you know, Star Wars Episode One. It was like a crazy right. moment in toy history. Everybody was right. buying up these toys, thinking they'd be worth thousands, and no, they were worthless. You could still buy those Episode One toys 
in the same one, same, you know, same comic store you go to, same toy store you go to sure. to buy a Star Trek toy. They're like $3. They're, they're yeah. probably even worth less. Cheaper now. Trek. Yeah. Than they yeah. were then. Yeah. Well, right. And, and beanie babies and Furbies and all that stuff on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, the explosion of the speculators who basically just didn't know what they were getting into and the toy companies jumping on board saying, yeah, we can make some money, take advantage of the situation. But ultimately yeah. they overproduced, oversaturated, and that kind of killed that segment of toy collecting. Which oversaturation does, because I mean, He-Man suffered the same fate in the eighties. Once there was, there's just so much He-Man product out there that it, it couldn't possibly sustain itself. Uh, I was just working on a paper with a, a co-writer of mine, Dan Yesbik, and we were talking about kind of this history of uh, the collector focused toy. And one of the things we were really kind of considering were the, the DC superpowers figures in the eighties and how those were kind of created as a way basically to get Jack Kirby some royalties for his, his work. So he kind of redesigned his superheroes for that line specifically and kind of paid him for it. Um, from there, you kind of get what happens in the early nineties with Todd McFarlane, who is like, well, we can actually put creator names right there on the, the package and we can make these things you know super collector focused and i think playmates way of kind of hopping on board with that is to say all right well it's not like a comic book character where we can really say this is drawn by jim lee but it is something where we could individually number every single one and make them collector figures like that so they do that the numbers ultimately don't mean a ton but they look nice it's kind of a nice idea and as they progress through the 90s right the the look of figures starts to shift todd mcfarland's influence i think grows and and the way he's doing his figures with the spawn stuff really starts to make an impact where you know it's it's bigger it's uh oftentimes better articulated uh the the accessories are more considerable that it's more realistic so you from there you can springboard into stuff like marvel legends and and those kinds of figures and figure lines that we still know super well and figure lines that have expanded to being stuff like the the star wars black series the gi joe classified series and all these these lines that we're dealing with now that are kind of built on the back of those early mcfarland figures now if you think about a timeline that kind of looks like that where where could you really make space for playmates in the style that playmates was using in the 90s it does not fit with that uh with that legacy because that legacy is one that leans into realism it leans into collectors and playmates in the 90s with the star trek figures is leaning a little bit more into impressionism and a little bit more into play value and and, and action features and stuff like that stuff that kids may have once upon a time really enjoyed and may still very much enjoy but you can't really say we're for kids over here and we're for collectors over here while someone like mcfarland is making figures that are all in on collectors because that's kind of where collectors are going to go. And McFarlane had a pretty good history of not charging a ton for them either. So sure. A cheap spawn figure maybe looks a little better than a sort of half and half Trek figure. That's kind of kiddie, but it's also collector and don't really know what to do with it. So unfortunately, you know, playmates didn't make it into doing enterprise toys. Uh, in fact, it'd right. be years later that another company would. And I think we're going to gloss over that company today, but as far as Playmates go, their initial run in the 90s was actually quite strong, but they just couldn't keep up pace at other companies. But sure. uh, this would not be the last we see of Playmates because uh, they do, in fact, show up again just in time for the Abrams films. And uh, 
you know, I, I didn't we, we didn't actually talk about what the worst Playmates figures were for that era. But you know what? I'm, I'm just going to say this right now. The worst Playmates Star Trek figures were the Abrams movie Star Trek figures. Agree or disagree? Out of every Playmates figure ever? I would disagree. You know, but for Devil's Advocate, I'm just going to say yeah. But yeah, in reality, okay. you know, there, there were definitely some stinkers that Playmates did that, uh, you know, like Medic Burial. I think uh, yeah. certain female figures, unfortunately, looked really horrible, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But yeah, like uh, the Lita was, was one of the better ones. But like Edith Keeler was stank city unfortunately uh you know it's like it's cool that we got a figure of her but yikes well (laughs) so few of them could actually stand up on their own which was a problem but uh yeah yeah yeah. i don't know i i I don't mind edith keeler that much uh, you know but i but i think that those 2009 trek figures that you're referring to the jj treks one of the things that i appreciated out of them was the way the bigger, I guess they were like six inch figures had kind of nicely textured uniforms. I felt that was cool. Like they, they, if you feel the texture on some of those, the, the bigger scale figures, they're kind of more rubbery, you know? And I, I, I liked that likeness wise in the 3.75 inch scale and in the six inch. And I guess in the, the 12 inch dolls, I don't know. Were they that bad? I didn't think they were that bad. I mean, I can tell you, I bought some recently uh, just because yeah. they were dirt cheap. So I went and got a few yeah. in package. Uh, lightnesses are not so great. The thing is, okay. too, like, you know, they're all wearing those rubber tunics on top of their their hard plastic body. So it's just kind yeah. of, you know, it's a weird thing to feel. And it also cuts off some of the articulation, too. So yeah. they, they definitely look a little funny. It's like they're skinny while also somehow being bulky looking at the same time. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're just like some charm that was kind of missing from them. I think because also they were trying to be a little bit more realistic as opposed to the yes. playmates where they were more like cartoony, a little bit more kid friendly. These were like trying to skate that line where again, identity crisis didn't know who their market was. I feel like. Yeah, I, I, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that the thing with playmates, and I know you, you kind of mentioned we're sort of glossing over the interim company, but I think now it's probably better to sort of say what art asylum did because with art asylum, that, company that did the enterprise figures and you know a series of tng and ds9 and a singular voyager figure they're that Um, truly great gap that basically happened in between playmates losing the license yeah and 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 in my opinion made probably the best trek figures ever uh agreed yeah very (laughs) real so just themselves that's why i wanted to gloss over it a little bit but yeah yeah no let's let's talk about them a little bit though because they are great so i would just say that like the only the only reason that maybe they should have kind of a footnote in this episode is to say that when playmates comes back to do the jj figures that's the sort of legacy that they're coming off of Mm. so art asylum makes these figures that are like beautiful i mean really great likenesses nice kind of matte uh paint apps as opposed to kind of the glossier look of the early playmate stuff um they're bigger uh well accessorized um that's kind of what what's up there you know for me because i love them so much cisco comes with the baseball cap all that stuff so um when playmates comes out they may also be asking themselves a little bit well how do we kind of keep up with what they did but also sort of not give up our own identity or also maybe not make them for that much money uh so i feel like those rubbery tunics that we're referring to are kind of a a response to what playmate what uh, art asylum did with the enterprise figures where and this was i felt a very strange choice but <laughs> essentially if you bought an enterprise figure they're in jumpsuits but the um the plastic that's around basically their 
crotch area is all sort of this rubbery kind of uh, uh, material, basically, so you could sit them down without having a visible joint there. Uh, the effect of that for me is that it kind of just looks like they're wearing these weird shorts, you know, uh, over their over their jumpsuits. But I get what the intent was. So maybe there's a bit of an attempt with the 2009 JJ Playmates figures to sort of say, okay, well this is sort of the realism of Trek figures that art asylum set up for the, for the market. Let's try to do something in line with that, but let's also maybe not go as far into it as, as art asylum did. So if you're thinking about, well, the figures kind of feel like they were a little unsure of what they were, that's probably an accurate statement. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't dislike them. Uh, maybe on the, the level that, that you do, but I would definitely agree that there's a bit of a, an identity crisis in there. I mean, the toys definitely did not do that well uh, at their no. initial offering. I mean, they sat, they were peg warmers. That's the term we toy collectors yeah. use for toys to just sit around. They were peg warmers yeah. and uh, they were for quite some time. They, they could not get rid of these things. And yeah. that would be the last time we'd see playmates do anything. Star Trek for a very long time right. until fast forward to 2022. Right now, yeah. yeah. Modern yeah. times. So playmates got the license back uh, and, and here's the cool thing about them. They got Star Trek back and they got the original sculpting team back more or less because yeah. Varner Studios is now again attached to making these modern toys. And uh, right. I looked at them on my YouTube channel, my YouTube calendar news today. Um, and I, I think you've got a bunch also. So, yeah. What, what do you think about these new toys here? Are they are these things carrying the torch? I love them. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Varner, that's not a name anybody should gloss over. That's that's a name that. And- and you're that not, toy royalty right there the, yeah it is it is and and because steve is back with tmnt as well because he also did the the tmnt stuff too in the early 90s late 80s i guess um so he's doing some of that as well as trek and it's i think it's i think it's beautiful i mean so you've got let's let's think about what they are so you've got the original trek card backs in the u.s at least uh from the original playmates line the 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 tng playmates line so it's that that enterprise that's looking like looks like it's kind of going out uh towards you from the from the card back um and uh yeah there's a there's a funny story we can leave for another time about me getting yelled at by the creator of those uh card backs but uh who's a bit of a complicated guy but uh but still iconic iconic box art back now and the figures have i think what we would call much more maybe modern articulation maybe articulation that one might expect um a little bit more from a 2022 figure they do kind of have a bit more of a slim down appearance they're not as small as this right this is 3.75 inches these are a little bit bigger than that but they still have kind of a slimmer appearance which i actually prefer because it's closer to how they were in the show um the accessories i think do a good job of being accessories that one would both like to see with the figure but also ones that kind of reference the accessories that were coming with the playmates figures of the 90s so for example the iconic phaser that had the beam sticking out of it yep. you know that was molded on popsicle that's, phaser yeah yeah exactly that's there so you can get all of that and you can get discovery figures which i'm a fan of so that's great you get a three you get a burnham uh and, and and to be honest with you 
I think they look great. And I, and that's not necessarily what I've heard from every single fan, but here's my, here's my thing with that. I do not think that the job of an action figure is to be a one-to-one likeness of what you see on screen any more than I think a fine painting is supposed to be a one-to-one representation of what you see in life. I think that the job of a fine action figure is to take what you see on screen, pull out the most relevant, important parts of that, put it in a toy, and then save some room for your imagination to kind of fill in the gaps. So as much as I like Art Asylum's hyper-realism, and I do like it, I I also really admire figures that are able to say, we as a company have a style. We as sculptors have a style here that we're putting onto these figures. It's not going to be a carbon copy. You'll have to do a little bit of the imaginative work. And that's okay. And I think that's actually how iconic figures are born. Nobody really looks at, you know, a double telescoping Luke Skywalker action figure from the 70s and throws it out the window because it doesn't look like Mark Hamill enough. It's kind of cool. Like it represents a specific time and it's also very valuable if it's a double telescoping figure. But anyway, you don't do it. So so I feel like Playmates has this opportunity now to say, this is the 2022 Playmates style. Hmm. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. But that's what it is. And it happens to be my thing. I like it. Yeah, I know uh, our next guest on the podcast uh, from Exo 6 might disagree with your take on that. But I definitely very much agree with, your, with what you said. There is a lot of merit to that because it's true. It's completely true. I mean, you know, Exo 6 is doing high end stuff as we're going to be talking about later on in the show with them. But yeah. as far as like, you know, the Playmates 90s track toys, you know, I reviewed them and why I talked about them, you know, part of me very much still likes those better. I, yeah. I like what Playmates is doing now in the modern times, but the thing is like, okay, they're going for these more photorealistic sculpts. Well, I'm going to nitpick right. over that because that's what happens right. when you look at a piece of fine art is the minute you go in towards realism, you're now actually comparing it with real life. And it's going to yeah. always be hard because you're basically taking an idealized version of something in your head. And now you're trying to compare it to what's in front of you. It just doesn't work. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's, it's very much the same thing. Like I'm going to always have a special spot in my heart for those nineties track figures. Even if they don't have the most accurate head sculpts, to sure. me, there's enough there that I know who they are. They get the job done perfectly for me. And yeah, there's like that sure. extra in my head that I don't need to worry about them being identical. It's just, it's there. I can enjoy them uh, and they still hold up. And I would argue too, with with what Exosex 6 is doing, that's that's also a very important artistic voice because you need also your Alex Rosses, you know, who could do yeah. the the hyper-realistic thing. And that's that's cool as a project. I just don't think Playmates is doing that project. And I think much in the same way Jackson Pollock is not doing Vincent Van Gogh's project. That's fine. That's great. And and the more we can kind of think of toys in that way of this kind of artistry that has a a project behind it. And we ask ourselves, what are that? What's the project of this figure? Then the better off we're going to be, because we'll start to accept this diverse range of looks um, that, that we really, uh, embrace. It's very true. And today really, we only talked about a very small segment of Star Trek toys and that was kind yeah. of, you know, spending a few minutes on glue, but then really spending most of this episode here about playmates. But yeah, there's also Migo who we barely really talked about and they get, they'll get an episode on their own. Trust me. Uh, Ertl who had a little, uh, cup of coffee in the Star Trek toy world art asylum, who again, you know, I think glad to have you back on for that one. Cause uh, they did some Love of the best to. stuff ever. Totally and, agree. South bend. Yes. Right. One of my favorites. Uh, even though they didn't do a ton uh the 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 ballad of palisades 
what never was, right? But but yeah. to this day, the only company that has actually made a Gene Roddenberry action figure, never released its prototype, but the figures of it are beautiful. You can check them out online. Um, yeah, tons and tons of of companies out there kind of dipping their hand in the, the Star Trek pot. Applause, right? There's basically a different type of toy for everybody out there. So yeah, I think th- this conversation about Trek toys has not ended at all, no. especially as we're going to jump in with uh, in a few moments with XO6, bring us into modern times. But just to kind of put a bow here on this Star Trek discussion, ultimately, yeah, like there's there's something for everybody out there and they're all great stuff. It's such a wide berth of toys. You can never go wrong with a Star Trek toy, really. I agree. Yeah. So, you know, on that note, too, I want to mention the Gene Roddenberry figure, whole other story. But uh, yeah. let's talk about another more important story here, uh, Jonathan. And that's you came out with a book a few years ago called Articulating the Action Figure. So, yes, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that book's all about? So that is an anthology of academic pieces on processing toys as text. So it kind of asks the question of, of how do we take literary theory that some of us learned in college or graduate level English classes and apply it to toys. So the whole point of that book is to take a diverse range of toys and a diverse range of literary theories, and that includes gender theory, race theory, et cetera, and apply it. And the more we do that, the more we'll start to be able to understand toys in kind of the terms we were talking about them before as these artistic texts. And that's the goal of that book. I'm working on one right now also that's on kids' meal toys, and it's basically trying to do the same thing, which is to say these things don't become cultural icons out of nowhere. And once they've achieved that status, which they have, they've been around forever, uh, we can also access all this other theory that exists that we happily apply to Herman Melville or whoever, and we can apply it here. And when that happens, that just makes our hobby all the deeper and and all the more layered and all the more interesting, in my opinion. So that's what that book does. And that's kind of what my whole body of academic work does. So that's articulating the action figure. There's going to be links for that in the show notes below. So do make sure you check it out here if you like this discussion today. And really, I think that is kind of the thing I wanted to have you on here for, because I feel like, you know, you and I, we think the same way about toys. And that's that they are pieces of art. They are something to analyze. Because, you know, even though they are pieces of marketing promotional tools, essentially, to make money for companies, for collectors like us, I mean, we view these in a certain way that is very different. And, you know, this is what I want to really get you guys out there to appreciate also is there is a rich history behind them and all the flops and the successes with them, too. But it's not just that. It's that, you know, they are pieces of art. They are pieces of literature. They're always connected to politics in some form. Uh, And there's always something deeper within toys, because just like art is a reflection of life as well. Toys like this truly are a reflection also of modern times and what people were thinking at a certain time period and certain place. So, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot deep than just a little thing to play with. 100%. I mean, just to drop some real quick literary theory in there, don't turn off the, don't, don't change the dial. I promise it's interesting. <laughs> paratexts. We use the word paratext to describe stuff like action figures traditionally because they are things created to sell a specific text. You have TNG. The TNG figures are the paratext because they're selling that. There's a great modern theorist scholar, Jonathan Gray, who argues that there really is not that much of a difference between paratext and text, meaning that paratext has a way of becoming text all on its own. When we talk about redemption data, we talk about how he wasn't actually wearing that costume in the episode Redemption. What that toy is doing is it's creating a text all its own in which data is 
wearing that uniform in redemption, even though that conflicts with your knowledge of the actual episode that you saw on TV. So these kinds of moments actually tear down the separation between what we would have called text and paratext. And when you do that, and when you admit that toys are text in that way, because there is no difference between paratext and text, then we start to have a lot of fun with them. Uh, and, and we start to to validate all these wonderful threads that come out of uh, fan-made play and and uh, our own interpretations of the figures and kind of what we're looking for, what we're not looking for. Basically, it just gives geeks more shit to argue about. And that, it doesn't sound good, but I promise you, if we do it well with love, which we do, we hope, uh, it will be great. I mean, I'm super into it. It's, it's a great way to look at things. And uh, yeah, this is, you know, for me, this episode, honestly, Trek and Toll is very much a van of the episode because I wanted to talk toys with some people and uh, very much want to have you on here to do this. And this is why, because you look at toys in this much broader way, which is great. So, uh, you know, Jonathan, thank you for dropping all these great knowledge bombs with us here today. <laughs> and for folks who want to learn more about the Star Trek toys from the Playmates era, uh, check my archives. You'll find interviews with uh, Steve Varner and even further back, Scott Henze. These guys, uh, you know, besides working on Star Trek in that time period, also did Ninja Turtles. They did so much other stuff from Playmates that was like big. So these guys will tell you all about the process of making the toys, the behind the scenes stories with them too. Uh, really great interviews. So definitely check them out if you're into the Star Trek toys. But again, Jonathan, thank you again so much for being here talking toys. Uh, this has been real great. And uh, yeah, I cannot wait to do it again sometime. Same. So that was my chat with Jonathan Alexandrados, and they were a lot of fun to hang out with, in case you couldn't tell. We could easily talk about toys for hours upon hours, but that's going to have to be a different podcast altogether. Up next, we're jumping over to the modern action figure world, and we're going to talk about X-06, which are easily some of the best Star Trek figures to date. Now, X-06 launched during the pandemic, presenting high-end 12-inch Star Trek figures that look so close to the real thing. They're filling a gap for collectors that hasn't existed in a while, and they're doing every iteration of live-action Trek, from the original series to the Berman era and even the current modern shows. But these beauties come at a high price that may shock folks who are not collectors of these things. These limited edition articulated masterpieces average at around 200 bucks per figure. And that might sound like a lot, and it is, but as we're gonna explain in this interview, that's actually on the cheap side of this segment of collectibles. Not only that, these figures have been released to the public at a breakneck pace, one that you'd expect from a big company like Playmates or Mattel, and not from a very small business like X06. Keep in mind, they are a startup, and the fact that they're releasing the number of figures they are at the rate they're going, that's pretty astounding. So let's spend some time getting to know Schubert from X06, understand how his company came to be, and the way they've been able to function so efficiently and successfully while never forgetting the fans. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the screen, we have Mr. Schubert Tam here. Schubert, how are you? I'm good. And you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I just got my very first XO6 figure not too long ago. Uh, mm. I'm so happy that I have this in my collection. It's beautiful. I got the Cisco, by the way. Oh, oh, uh, oh okay. Beautiful, gorgeous figure. And I'm really excited to be talking with you today about toys. Star Trek, particularly, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Star Trek toys. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been buying a lot of those. I mean, okay. so, you know. Schubert, let me ask you first question here. I ask all my yeah. guests in the show. Uh, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Earliest memory of Star Trek? Wow. Pause. I mean, it's I mean, it's all happened at the same time in my mind, okay? Because uh, I was so young that time, okay? So if you ask, ask me that question, 
I, the entire show come up to my mind. um i'm not surprised i mean looking at the toys you guys make you clearly have a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of this franchise oh yeah i mean uh for the last 10 last what six years i do nothing but star trek (laughs) in particular that's a pretty great life to have oh yeah right now i I think i'm 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 in the heaviest time of my life i'm doing like 24 hours seven days a week of the things that i like to do Watching Star Trek is like a normal thing for me now. I mean, before it's like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be watching DS9 again. Okay. I just watched it last week, but, <laughs> but right now I get, Oh, I need to do some research. <laughs> I need to see uh, Kira. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it's fun. It's very fun right now. So when you were a kid, did you play with Star Trek toys? Do you have a lot of Star uh, Trek toys growing up? Uh, not much, but I like Star Trek. That's not much uh, Star Trek toy at that time. I think it's Mego, the only thing that we have. Yeah, what time. about Mego in the seven, in the original era? It would have been like, yeah, Mego toys, yeah. Yeah, Migos. That's the only one that uh, I remember when uh, from the old days. That's in the seventies, mid seventies. Yeah. Yep. And did you collect any of the Playmates toys in the nineties when you were an adult? No. Oh, I kind okay. of stopped after um, middle school. Oh no, junior high, right? Because Castorium's coming in, <laughs> kicks in, <laughs> puberty kicks in party okay <laughs> either party or school or something else i mean i stopped for a while and then uh by the time i'm 30 it comes back again all right well let me ask you a little, quick, little bit uh, about some background information about you uh schubert can you tell us where you were born oh who your parents okay. were and what uh, little schubert wanted to be when he grew up i'm from hong kong originally i'm born in hong kong immigrated uh, to the united states when i was 12 mm. and uh immediately at that time star trek stayed in my mind and then I, I already experienced what Spock experienced, multicultural. I don't know. People don't understand what's going on. That's why Pattern of Force, I think, not Pattern of Force, which uh, the one that in Toss is about the Romulan, I think, Terror. terror oh, Balance of Terror? Yeah, Balance of Terror. Okay. People start thinking, start saying, oh, you, you, you are from China. No, I'm not from China. I'm from Hong Kong. Okay. It's different. It's different. <laughs> okay. That's when I, uh, when I first came here. And then um, I think uh, I want to make Star Trek figures, even though when I was young. Huh. Okay, it's very young. I think I think is uh, when I was six, fifteen or sixteen years, fifteen, yeah, fifteen years old. Me and my buddy said uh, we're gonna make for Star Trek figures when we grow up. Okay, and I'm I'm making it right now. Yeah, you're living the dream, um, but you know. Yeah. I mean- Back then, there's not really, you know, classes to take to make action figures. I mean, did you go to a university or a college to learn a trade? Yes, I uh, went to business school, but I never went, I never did anything in business. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, how did you actually then get into the toy industry? That's not an easy nut to crack. Yes, yeah, not because uh, I'm from outside world. I'm totally in a different uh, part of the uh, business sector before I get into uh, um, action figures. I was in the gambling business. Uh, I, I worked in uh, uh, some um, gambling establishment. Handicapping. I don't gamble. Okay? I don't <laughs> like gambling. Analysts, okay? And I hate that job. I hate that job. And then um, about in 2009, I got ripped off because I wanted to custom make some Star Trek figures. I got ripped off and I got upset. So I'm going to make it on my own. <laughs> okay? I'm going to make this on my own. Okay? And then and then start customizing, doing my own work. Okay, I'm gonna hire a uh, hire a sculptor, sculptor's curve, sculptor uh, uh, spark, 
but uh, I got ripped off. Hmm. Okay, because uh, I don't know anything about the industry. Okay, so uh, when I when I start making them prototype prototyping them, I always got ripped off, mm-hmm. and it didn't come out right. Okay, this is not what I want. I mean, doesn't look like Kirk. Doesn't look like Spock. Okay, just have pointed ears. Okay, so so I told myself that I'm gonna make it again. So I retry, and I I did another line. Uh, Warp of Khan, a custom make that and got ripped off again. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, um, but I was thinking that, um, eventually someday I will able to, um, have enough knowledge or I know enough people in the production industry that I can make my figure. But I never, I never think about getting into it. And then by the time around 2014, I was, uh, watching Star Trek again. Then I look. Hey, anniversary is coming up. Star Trek anniversary is coming up. And I don't see any good Star Trek collectibles out there. And then I always think Star Trek is about the characters. Not, it's, I mean, a lot of people collect ships. I like collect ships too. Okay. I like building models, but there's not much, um, character based collectibles. You know what I mean? Character likeness based. Yeah. Yeah. It was very hot in collectibles industry at that time. Uh, hot toys, a few other companies making realistic one six scale figures. Right. So I think, Hey, this can be, can be put into, uh, uh the Star Trek franchise or the franchise fandoms. They might like it. I mean, after all, it's, it's about the character, right? So I think if I continue making this and gradually putting pictures out into, um, within the social media, someone might pick me up. Okay. Before 2016. Because they have nothing. Okay. True. <laughs> they don't have a lot of company has nothing. Okay. And then by 2015, I help a company, QMX. Yeah, Quantum Mechanics. Problem on one six scale. They were doing some one six uh, figures that time and they have problem finishing it. And then, uh, somehow they, uh, uh, got hold of me and then, um, I helped them up and then, um, they finished releasing that figure. It was mouse. Yeah. Mouse or Firefly. Yeah. And then I took that opportunity. Because now I have money in my hand because QMX is giving me money so I can have money to help out to do something. So I use that money to build my relationship in China before it's only a $100, $200 thing. Now I have a $20,000 order okay, or something. Okay. Now you have to treat me differently. Okay. So I start building relationship at that time. I took that opportunity. Uh, I started out uh, the relationship and then that was the end of 2015. And in 2016, QMX want to have, uh, some figures, uh, done for the anniversary because I think, I think, um, I think that the, uh, CBS has been asking, uh, partners around, I want you guys have for 50. Okay. And then, um, they, and then, um, the owner, the founder, I think the owner of QMX asked me, do I want to work for them? Okay. So I think, Hey, opportunity come. It's here. Okay. I can legitimately do this thing. Okay. And I know how to do it now. Okay. I, I already put my foot into it, uh, to the door. So uh, I took that job and I flew back. I resigned right away. <laughs> and I left, I think about one week after that. Wow. I left the US and went back to Hong Kong. And from there, I went to China and started building that one six scale, uh, production for QMX, as you know, from 2016. And then, uh, those some great figures too. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, um, it was really fun. We were able to produce a lot of figures in a very short time. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's all started because of that, uh, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that hit. I mean, that, that incident that I helped them make it. I helped them up and I established a relationship from there. I start, I start growing my relationship, my connection in China. Okay. And I continue building it throughout this, um, throughout from 2016 all the way to 2019. Okay. You're really playing the long game with this. Yeah. 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 Did, yeah. I was, uh, I, I enjoy my life there because I was, I mean, same thing. I was watching Star Trek in China. <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying Star Trek figures everywhere I go. And then I have some, some fun over there, but, uh, but I know someday, hopefully someday we can continue building the, uh, this one six scale Star Trek and then we can do a lot more Star Trek. So I continue building my relationship and, uh, making connections. I'll try to know wherever I can. Just prepare someday if 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 QMX wants to you know make it big, I'm able to make it big. Okay. I have all the things ready. Things didn't happen that way, but I actually ended even better. <laughs> I would say so, because I mean, now you've got XO6. This is your baby. This is Schubert's company. Uh and yeah. so you know, I think the cool thing about them is you define these as museum grade figures. And the amount of research that you do in these figures are just astounding to me. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how XO6 makes sure that all these figures are the most screen accurate versions ever made? All, all this thing all happened since 2009. Okay. Mm. When, uh, uh, JJ and uh, JJ Star Trek came out. Yeah. Okay. Remember just now I mentioned, you know, that's how I started around 20, uh, 20, uh, 2009. 20, uh, 2008 around that time. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's around that time. I start, I start doing research, start going into Star Trek. Okay. Again. Okay. Start talking, going into different groups. I find out, Hey, there are some uniform groups. I need to get into them. Um, they must know this thing really good because I, I, I've been looking at those colors, Star Trek uniform colors. They all change for my screen. Suddenly it looks like green. Suddenly it looks like yellow. Suddenly it looks like something else. So. I got to be accurate. Okay. So, so I think, you know, those, uh, those uniforms, uh, uh, uh fans, they must know this, uh, better than anybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went in there, find out, Oh, geez, this is deep. <laughs> and then I hung around with them for a couple of years. So, uh, from there, I learned a lot because they go by millimeter on one to one scale uniforms. Um, they are very accurate. They are very, very picky. Okay. From there. I was thinking if I can satisfy this group of Star Trek fans and I, I'm able to miniaturize this, um, actual replica, one to one replica into one six scale, people should like it. Or hmm. I can even tell them, Hey, that's what it's supposed to look like. Okay. A lot of people don't, they don't know what color is supposed to be. Okay. This is the actual color. Okay. I can actually make this in a smaller scale and educate my friends. I mean, my such friends show them what is set accurate, what is screen accurate. So I gather all this information. I have tons of information on these. And then from there, I move on to models. Okay. Scale model. Okay. Scale models. They are very, I mean, another group of, um, collectors that are very, uh, uh, into precisions, mm, screen yeah. accuracy. Okay, from there, I learned a lot about ships. Okay, and then I learned some background about Star Trek. You know, Aztec painting. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, Star Trek ships has uh, Aztec panels. 
from there I learned a lot of those things. It's not related to now, but I used it too, okay? But anyway, from there I move on to props, okay? I find out there's a lot of people that are crazy about props <laughs> in Star Trek. I mean, they say, okay, this thing is only two millimeters shorter, and then, and then they'll say, this is not right. Well, oh, these are the people that I need to know. <laughs> if they are so precise, anything coming up from them cannot be wrong. Hmm. I mean, the poss- possibility for it to be wrong is going to be slow. Okay. <laughs> so I start hanging around with them and then, and then ask them to help me out to get me some measurements. Right. So I got all this information, but at that time, 3D printing and 3D sculpting is not, it's not, it's not popular. Okay. All of this are just informations hmm. because very expensive at that time to have that done by hand. So by I continue gathering the information, but right now I have my own company. So I make my own thing. So all this information can be used. Hmm. So that's why I do, that's my, my figures all come up real fast because I have all the information right here. And the guy and my partner right now in China, I mean, I've been training him. That guy never touched Star Trek in his life. But since 2016, actually before that, since 2009, I've been brainwashing him or educating him <laughs> about Star Trek. So he knows what is set color. He knows what is screen color. He knows what is TNG uniforms. What is a uh, walk of con? Okay. He knows everything. So that's why when we, when I got the license and then we just prepare for about four months and then we have data right away. Wow. Go fast. Because everything is right there. So in <laughs> oh, another lifetime, you were part of the obsidian order or something, just being able to brainwash somebody like that. I mean, that's pretty amazing though. And you know, the way you guys have all the outfits looking and the way you guys have the props looking, the accessories. I mean, that is really amazing what you did there. But what really impresses me are the head sculpts. Uh, you know, like I said, I got the Cisco and like holding that Cisco in my hand and just looking at it, I was like, wow, this is Avery Brooks. This is beautiful. Uh, so, you know, as a sculptor and working with a toy company, who's been the hardest actor to get their likeness down and who's been the one that you just got it right away? None of them, none of them we get it right away. Mm. All of them, we went through a lot of process, even though I like it. Okay, the first scene, I mean, first time I look at it, we still have to go through a lot of improvements. Like, like what you have, what, what we have released right now went through a lot of, uh, uh, refinement because even though I was working for QMX, okay, I've been prototyping on my own. <laughs> I spend my own money prototyping things because I was, I, I, I'm a guy that like to go fast. I don't like to sit around. Okay. <laughs> So I, I don't, I don't want to waste time either. So the time I spend in China is all about prototyping. So most of this had started years ago. Okay. It's just being refined. Okay. During this time. Mm. So, um, but uh, if you say the hardest, I would say Shatner. Mm, yeah. I could, I could see the that. Hardest. Yeah. I mm. mean, it's a very famous among the 3D sculptors, Shatner and, um, Harrison Ford are the one of those two most difficult uh, a person to sculpt. Yeah, I've noticed that with a lot of toys, like even you know, looking at other toys that company, other companies have done, like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the eyes or the nose. I mean, what, what do you think has been the problem with William Shatner's well, face? Okay, let's, let's say the, uh, uh, the first Kirk that we did, that I did, that I, I'm responsible, was the QMX Kirk. Mm. Okay. He went through about seven people. We have one sculptor, Inigo. He responsible for it. Okay. But we have, we do second eye, which means another person look at the skull. 
and try to point out the uh, problems. Because the sculptor, looking at a, a character for so long, their eye, I mean, their brain start playing tricks on them. They try to make things look like what they want. I mean, this is real. Okay. I, yeah. I study that actually. <laughs> okay. So, so we always try to use a, another sculptor or another person that have a professional, uh, eyesight on, uh, likeness to do commenting. We spent, we had seven guys, six guys. Okay. Went through Kirk. Then we get a good Kirk. Okay. And, um, yeah, Kirk is one of the hardest, even though right now, we are still struggling with them. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and then after sculpting, we have another problem. Paint up didn't come out right. I was wondering why. Okay. The sculpt was good, really good. Okay. I can see it right away, certainly. But bringing it out is another story. Okay. You have to bring up the likeness. The paint, the paint up guy has to do it. On the original character we did in 2016. I spent two days there at the uh, paint shop. We couldn't. It just looked. It, it, yeah, he, he looks nothing like Shen. <laughs> okay, the same scope. Okay, the same one. Okay, nothing like him. And then later on, we find out we need to add redness to him. Hmm. And he came out right away. <laughs> I mean, a couple of drops was red. Red paint made a huge difference. I mean. None of us could have guessed it, but wow. that's what happened to Shatner. The redness makes a difference. I mean, her, she has a darker skin tone. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's what happened to Shatner. He, he's still the hardest right now. He's still the hardest. I mean, you guys are clearly going through months, if not years, of development for these things. But I got to ask, I mean, right now, XO6, they've been pumping out figures so fast. So, I mean, yeah. uh, number one, how are you guys able to get them out so quickly? And also, how are you keeping the price so low? And I want to preface it for folks who don't know. You know, one six toy companies like Hot Toys, for example, these days you're going to pay like $400 for someone like Doctor Strange, $600 for an Iron Man. XO6 is doing these likenesses for like around the $200 mark and you're getting them done like so fast. How are you oh, guys yeah. doing that? Well, I turned the weakness of Star Trek into a strength. When I was in Hong Kong, I mean, when I was in China and Hong Kong doing a production for QMX, I noticed Star Trek demand compared to other franchise is. I mean, it's no comparison. We are so small, especially for high-end collectible. Demand is really, really, really low. Okay, no factory will willing to talk with me because of my quantity. It's so low. I mean, compared to other factory, so that's not possible to find any factory to have it to have a figure done. Unless I go back, I actually have to go on all fours to back people. Come on, do me a spark. <laughs> and then they say, okay, okay. And then they will do it. Okay. Otherwise they won't even look at me because the quantity is so slow, so low. Mm, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they say, what is Star Trek? <laughs> they ask, they know what is Star Wars. Okay. They know Marvel. They know Spider-Man. They know Superman. They know everything. But what is Star Trek? What is this triangular thing? I mean, everyone has one. <laughs> okay. They don't know. Okay. Nobody wants to work with me. Okay, so I find out that means we only can make maybe one figure or two figures a year, and then the next year probably the guy who owns the license will will quit <laughs> because it's not making money at all. Yeah. Okay, and there's the pay for the franchise. Okay, there's a time limit there, right? 
Yeah. So I think the only way to make this is to have my own production. So you're running basically everything yourself. Like Exo Six had its own production company. Yeah, the own wow. production. I have to do everything on myself. Okay, in order for me to produce, how can I do that? That's not possible because I have nothing, right? So I start training. Okay, so how do I train? Train training has to start from the bottom, right? So I start using very simple Star Trek uniforms. That's why we start out with Voyager. <laughs> okay. Huh. Well, we start with uh, first contact. Yeah. We find out, oh, geez, this is difficult. <laughs> okay. So we use Voyager. Voyager has a has, has the most simple uniform than both, right? So I have to train our production. Okay. Just do a good Voyager uniform. Forget about everything else. Okay. Do a good you know, Voyager uniform. Once they get hold of it, they start expanding. They go back to first contact. They're able to do another first contact Cisco. Like what you got? Okay. Actually, the quality is better than our first contact quality. Okay. <laughs> Craftsmanship is better because everyone in my production are first time worker. They never work in this field before. Okay. They all start from like knowing nothing. Okay. And that's why they all, we all build things from the ground up. Okay. Because they're specialized in Star Trek uniforms, especially Voyager. Okay. So they can crank it up fast. Hmm. They don't do anything else. Okay. So right now my production is entire Star Trek uniforms. I don't do anything other than Star Trek uniform. So they become a specialist. When they're specialized on one thing, they don't need to train. They can do it fast. Still fresh in their mind because production is not like, I mean, we have to do everything, but, uh, uh, in a, in a, in a systematic way, right? Mm, yeah. Not that one figure per, per figure. Okay. Every time when we have a new production, the worker has to be trained. What you're going to do at this step, right? Every time we have to train them. But if they, if they continue doing one job, like, 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 like two years or one year or two years, they'll be really good about it. Okay. They will be really good at it as we, as we build on time. So that's why we can crank up so fast because we skip, we train them mm. while we're producing them. And we have the information. We have the contact over here in my brain. Okay. I keep feeding information in, in, in China. Okay. The factory, the guy to whom I trained, he knows exactly what I want because he was with me 24 seven. I mean, like, like, like few years. He know exactly what's, what's going on. So every time when I mentioned, he know what's going on and he can pass on the information down to the, uh, 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 worker. And then we, we also have a training, uh, uh, uh system there. Before we do, uh, uh, like Cisco, we start redoing, uh, some, uh, uh, some of the old, old stuff, like, uh, data uniform practicing, see if there anything improve. Okay. We start training that when we finish, uh, 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 or someone immediately Cisco goes in, jumps in. And then we don't do one figure at a time. We do about six or seven figures at the same time. Some will move faster. Some will not. Okay. Some might, we, we, we do two step, uh, uh every two weeks, <laughs> but one will like, like do really fast. Okay. It depends. It really depends on, uh, on the situation. We juggle around because we are small. Yeah. Okay. That means we can, we have more agility, not like big company. If they want to move, they talk about, they, they need a whole week. I only need one hour. Then I can change everything. 
Okay, I call everybody in. Okay, during lunchtime, tell them what we're gonna do. Okay, after lunch, we start doing it. Big company, they need a whole week to prepare. Okay, because they have to change everything. The whole system, all tables, everything have to change. Right. So that's how I took advantage of the small, smaller market of Star Trek. Okay, I built a small production company that fit into the Star Trek market. Okay, and I never go over. I do not have I do not have wishful thinking because I was trained not to. Remember, I work for a gambling company. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm trained not to 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 be objective. Do not overlook. I never look. I know and wishful thinking. That's why I call it. I don't I don't do wishful thinking. Okay, I don't hope. I don't think. I don't believe. Oh, I can sell ten thousand. Okay, so I will make ten thousand and end up only sell one thousand. Okay,、mm. I don't do those kind of things. Yeah. Okay, so I'm very. I'm using what I learned in the gambling industry, risk, and apply into what I'm doing right now, and it worked. It's pretty amazing too, because you know you're doing this also during the COVID pandemic. I mean, you started a company that's dealing with China overseas during the pandemic, and you're succeeding really well at this. I mean, you've, you've really kicking butt. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm 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 actually very proud because I'm seven thousand miles away, okay, and able to do it in pandemic, and I'm able to ship everything out faster than anybody.、So. You've been on time, yeah. It's been the coolest thing about you guys. It's like I, you know, there's companies like Super Seven. Uh, who have been very, very hit badly by the pandemic? Like they're super slow. NECA has had lots of issues, delays getting things to port. But you guys, I don't think I've missed any deadlines. Or if you have, it's been like very minimal. So yeah, whatever you're doing, I mean, you guys are doing it awesomely. I'm doing that like a like 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 in the gambling business, <laughs> like a board game. They cannot. They have to start at nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. They don't change the time. So I'm doing the same thing right now. Okay, I'm using everything that I learned. That I gained, I'm sixty. I'm not young. Okay, <laughs> everything that I know and put into XO Six. Okay, I'm overdoing a lot of things, but it become very effective and efficient. Very very efficient. I do not need to monitor. Okay, because uh, uh I use a Navy Seal type of management. I I don't know if you're aware that we watch everybody's back. We don't need to watch our own back because I know my my buddy next to me will watch mine. Okay,、uh, that is that is how our my entire operation work in China. That's really I mean, cool. Down to the janitor. Okay, <laughs> even when they use the restroom, we all think about the next person who is doing this. Who is coming in next? Let's make it easier for him. Wow. That's why my production is one of the most efficient and effective production in one six. Yeah,、right、it sounds amazing. Yeah, but I don't do anything else. People come to us, say, hey, can you do this for us? No, I don't do this. We only do Star Trek. Okay, <laughs> we're not doing anything else. We don't、uh, need your. <laughs> that's good. I don't want you doing anything else. I only want you doing Star Trek because they're beautiful.、Yeah. And you know, on that note too, I know,、uh, you know, you guys、uh, have all sorts of things in the works. And again, reminder,、uh, Schubert, this is going to be airing in like late January, mid Feb.、Um, mm-hmm. So, but Schubert, can you tell us? You know, can you tease us about anything that's、okay. going to be coming up in 2023? What can you tell us without getting in trouble? It- Okay, we have a time space difference right now. Okay, we are the space right now. We're gonna just change the time. Okay, to end of January. So, so I can I can tell you something supposed to happen, but at the air date already happened. Okay, Spock supposed to be out. That's a、uh, motion picture, Spock. Yeah, motion picture out is supposed to be out. We're supposed to release it next week. Okay, we are talking to you this week. Right now, <laughs> next week we're supposed to release it. Okay, so everybody's supposed to have a Spock right now. Okay, 
and then we are prototyping McCoy, but McCoy will take a little longer. Why? Because McCoy will have a heavy chest. Ah. <laughs> okay. We need to give him a chest, okay? Because this child showed up, okay? So it will take a little bit longer. He has more things on him. A buckle, a pendant, a few more things than uh, Kirk and Spock. So we, she, he will take a little bit longer. Probably um, I'm looking at uh, April okay. to have uh, 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 McCoy out. And then we complete more, uh, motion picture. And then, um, probably, uh, I believe seven. Out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Space time. Okay. Seven supposed to be out now when you air this. Okay. Hopefully it still is. Fingers and, crossed. Um, yeah. And then I do not know the reveal. Hopefully it's good because, uh, she is our EXO-01-001. That's the first figure that we want to make. We didn't pull it out until now. Okay. Took us that long. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Took us that long to have her done because she needs her own body. Yep. Okay. Maybe I talk about seven. Yeah. Seven is using her own body. Okay. This is our first female body. And then, um, it's seamless. Nobody want to do it for us because the metal skeleton. The order is too low. Yeah, okay. folks who don't know what seamless uh, means in toys, seamless means that you can't see the joints. They're basically covered yes. by a sort of like fleshy vinyl on top. Yeah, seven is that because um um because of a, a cat suit, right? Yep. It's only a parcel seamless. Her shoulder, her her her, her hip joint is not seamless. We don't need that to be seamless, right? Just the legs, arms, okay. Those and neck, we need those and uh, her upper body, okay, and then uh. The the interior the, the skeleton of uh, seven is metal. Yeah. Nobody want to take our order because we're we, we're making only so little. <laughs> okay. So that's why seven is so expensive compared to others. Okay. okay. Wow. And um yeah, uh, I don't it's think still not even that expensive, by the way, for what it is. We we try to control costs. Okay. We that's that's one cost you guys don't have me. I did not calculate the time that I spent into the MSRP, into the cost. And and I'm the one who spent most time into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, everything come out so fast. If you think this nice, it's all because of the information that I gathered all this time. None of that cost was added in our production cost. I did not add any, add any of those. I consider those as my own time. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's my own time. I'm sharing my time with the fans. Okay. I'm sharing that part of the course. I wow. took that. I mean, I spend already. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's priceless. I think I cannot charge. <laughs> well, thank you for that. That pretty much covers, you know, those guys. What about TNG, DS9? Uh, what about, you know, Strange New Worlds or Discovery? Is there anything oh, coming in 2023 for those guys? Probably within a couple of months, we're going to show some TNG. Okay. Okay. And then, um, us. You should have already seen um the next character for um DS9. I do not know if it's uh Jacia, okay, as of now, okay, because we have a time space here, okay. Uh either Jacia or um or Odo. Oh, okay, wow. Okay, or oh, but sure. Either one either that's three of them, okay. I don't know which one. One of them already uh, we already put up. Okay. And then uh we have a few surprises coming up that I would not tell you. 
Okay. Um, probably, you probably see that in uh, April. Something hey, monster, fun. I want more. I want more toys. I want more things. Oh, I got to wait till April now. <laughs> oh, oh that, uh, don't worry. Right? You, you have other things. I mean, you you, you still have a uh, Lokildas, right? Lokildas is supposed to be delivering within <laughs> a month or two, right? Yeah, true, and yeah. then, um, yeah. Uh, and then who else? And then, and then Shan's supposed to be releasing soon, too. If this is February, okay? If this is January or February, yeah. Two months, Shan's supposed to be here, okay? The queue that's supposed to be here about one month from now. So, I mean, it won't stop. <laughs> it will continue. Okay, it will continue for, 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 for at least two more years like this. Every month you have something. Wow. That's pretty amazing that you guys can actually do that because it really feels like every month it's been like a new pre-order. And I'm just like, you know, here, XO6, take my money. But uh, yeah, no, it's amazing what you guys are doing and how fast you're pumping these out. And yeah, you have not lost any quality yet either, which is wonderful. Yeah, hopefully. I'll... We hopefully quality always goes up. Yeah. Okay? Always right. goes up. I've only bought yeah. one so far, but from what I've seen from the people who are reviewing it, I mean, it seems like, you know, because you guys are so small, you're able to adapt just like the Borg really quickly uh, and change things on the fly and, and make some great decisions that I think have made some wonderful toys. Correct. Correct. I use a lot of Star Trek stuff into, into this operation. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> really a lot. Like you said, Borg, that's how I think. We assimilate what other company can do. And then we do it our way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, productions practically like this. I mean, I have guys go out, talk to other production people. I mean, I have a guy, my manager. I told him every lunch you have to spend with another production company. Okay. Some guy within, with another production, you have to know. Okay. What kind of new things they can do. Okay. So don't let me know that you eat, you're having lunch on your own. <laughs> you have to call one of those guys. Okay, continue monitoring, improving ourselves. Okay, so we can do better Star Trek figures. That's why our figures will only get better, supposed to. Okay, because our, our, our experience is gaining. Okay, it's gaining. I mean, it can only be better and better. <laughs> oh, I think I think you guys are doing it. All right, so Schubert, you know, thank you for some of those reveals. I mean, my wallet hates you, but I love you because you're doing great stuff here. Last one of the last things here I want to ask you is, what is your dream action figure to make now that you're doing this? Like, you know, you're you're in charge of this company, you're doing whatever you want. What toy do you need to see before your company shuts down? If it ever shuts down, toy. There's so many Star Trek stuff. Undiscover Country. Okay, Star Trek Six. Crew. I want the complete crew. Yeah, the final okay, the final appearance of all the original crew. Yep. Okay, I hope you get there. I want to see that too. And then I have a wall uh, and discover country. All right, well, Schubert, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and uh, it's been real wonderful to talk with you. And I'm very excited to give you all of my money. So uh, keep making more <laughs> DS9 so I can do that. And also, I know I, I did see uh, in that Adam Savage tested video. You showed off uh, the Empress uh, Giorgio figure. Oh, I, yeah, ooh, I love that one. oh, oh, I cannot wait to see how that's going to look. Yeah, I was going to show, but I think I should. I should save it. <laughs> We'll save it. So, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, okay. I appreciate your time today. All right. So, I talked to you. Bye-bye. That's the end of part one. But make sure to come back next week for part two with Lisa Klink as we continue our Voyager deep dive, as well as spend some time discussing a few other Trek things that she was a part of, plus a bunch of other fun, personal, and professional stories. So, don't miss it. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. 
or pick up some merchandise from our store or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.